I got to admit that when, when uh, Drs. Jim and Phil came up here this morning, I got a lump in my throat. That was uh, what, what maybe you don't know that I think that, that I have seen and I know about, um, about Hal and, and Jim and Phil is uh, that these are, um, these are men who care for our communities in, in uh, really beautiful ways. And it was just amazing to see them up here listening to kids' hearts as a picture of the fact that we, we have a God who is aware of what's going on inside of our hearts, who's promised to give us a new heart and put a right spirit in us, in the words of Ezekiel. And that was beautiful this morning. Thank you, Kristen. Speaking of that, uh, I just wanted to reiterate that uh, two weeks from today, we are going to have a baptismal service here on Sunday morning. And I just want to say, you know, there's always uh, a few people who wonder about baptism, who are serving Jesus, who want to be living a life of being a disciple of Jesus, but who have never been baptized. And if that's true for you, please feel free to come and talk to me about that. Um, We'd I'd love to be able to have the opportunity, the honor of, of baptizing you. It doesn't matter what age you are, um, but it would, be, um, it would be very, very cool to be able to uh, participate with you as you follow Jesus in, in baptism. In case you're wondering, if you were baptized as an infant, um, our church does not practice rebaptism of people who have already been baptized. If you were baptized in a Christian church, whether it be Protestant or Catholic, um, we believe that when the Apostle Paul says that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, that means one, one time baptized. So, but if you've never been baptized, uh, please, please come and talk to me. I'd love to be able to have you participate two weeks from today on Sunday morning. We're going to have a beautiful baptistry sitting, sitting here um, because of the generosity of God's people, and it's, it's all happening. So this, this message this morning is the eighth and final in a series we've called Hoping for the Future. I was tempted to, to use the title this morning, The Last Hope. <laughs> That's not quite right. But, it, but this title of the series, Hoping for the Future, I like it because it can be taken in a number of ways. One being that we hope for the future in the sense of not taking for granted that there will be a future. We're hoping for the future. I was reminded by the National Public Radio story this week that the doom, about the doomsday clock. Have you heard of the doomsday clock? A, it is now set at two minutes till midnight, which is sobering. It hasn't been that close to midnight since 1953 when the, the Soviet Union and uh, the, the USA were both testing thermonuclear weapons. This clock is a creation of the Bulletin of, America, of, of Atomic Scientists. It's their way of measuring how close humankind is to destroying itself by technologies of our own making. Two most significant technologies in particular right now are nuclear war, of course, and also climate change. So the future is something we must not take for granted. This is, however, not what I had in mind in reference to this title, because as those who believe in the God of the Bible, we trust that God is ultimately in charge of what happens in this world, because we hold that he is 
sovereign, we can say with confidence that, that the future is always coming and that God holds the future. God is in charge of the future. God is sovereign. So hoping for the future can also mean that we choose to let our perspective on the future be one of hope. God has a plan, a plan to restore what's broken in the world, a plan to reconcile all things to himself in Jesus Christ. And this, <laughs> it's okay, Samson. <laughs> and this fits well with the teaching of Scripture, especially with the Apostle Paul's teaching here in 1 Thessalonians. Perhaps the Thessalonian believers needed encouragement, so he writes to them encouraging words about the future. Even though they were under attack for their faith, he's saying they can have hope. In fact, he says that that hope of salvation can be worn as a helmet, chapter 5, verse 8. He wanted them to know that this was their destiny at the end of, all, of it all, that they will be with Jesus and they can have hope. So in these eight weeks, we talked about the relationship between faith and hope. In the first week, I quoted Charles Spurgeon, who said, faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the window which hope has opened. It's a great metaphor of faith, love, and hope working together in our lives. We talked about the perspective that God is doing something new. The first Sunday of the year in 2019, that we said God's doing something new in this new year, and it's an open window. God is calling us to partner with him in his work. And then in week two, we saw that one of the secrets to hope in a dark world is that God has given us each other to love. Being a part of a family is, is, is one of the secrets to having hope for the future. Amen? Pastor Dan spoke in week three about the fact that hope is meant to be shared. And we need this because, because of Jesus, we always have hope. And Dan asked, the question is, are we going to share that hope? In week, in week four, we talked about how hope works in times of trouble. It begins as gratitude, and then, and, and then it kind of joyfully splashes around your mind and your life, and even those near you get some of it. And before you know it, hope has returned. Trouble should not take us totally by surprise, no. It, it's not as bad as we imagine it is sometimes. And in all of it, the power comes from what we, we call eucharisteo, Godward gratitude. Then the next week, Dan taught of the Holy Spirit's work, sometimes subtle, but always powerful in bringing hope. And this was the first of two very difficult topics that, that Dan ended up Preaching, where is that? Over here. Yeah, he made it very clear that, hey, in this great series in 1 Thessalonians, I get the two, two messages on, on sex and the rapture. <laughs> but, you know, both were amazing sermons. And, Dan, I knew you could do it. So, good job. <laughs> the conclusion of the, that, that week five sermon emphasized that Paul prayed this for the 
Thessalonians, that they would understand the depth and magnitude of God's love for them. And because of this love, God wants to heal their wounds and forgive them and set them free from whatever it is that keeps them from him, from God's good plan for them. And in this, they can have hope. Two weeks ago, we talked about the way that helping others can be like a beacon of hope for them. Helping. There's more to helping than just throwing money around. It's an art form. It's a spiritual discipline. And it's a privilege to give in ways that are truly life-giving. Finally, last week, we talked about encouragement as verbal sunshine. This, too, is an art form, how to encourage others in a way that not only helps them along in life, but can also be a light during very dark times. Hope, when it's desperately needed. It's like verbal sunshine. So, today... As we come to this final passage of 1 Thessalonians, we see that Paul is here doing what he repeated in other New Testament letters. He's giving a kind of rapid-fire checklist of instructions that are designed to ring in their ears as they hear this letter read in public. These letters were read in public. They were designed to be um, read in the gathering of when, the, when, the, when the, the people of God came together. Many of them were illiterate. So the only way they're going to get this is by hearing it. So after instructing them to listen to their teachers and le- leaders, he says to get along with each other. With a mix of not tolerating freeloaders, but at the same time helping strangers. This is something that requires wisdom. Basically being patient with everyone and and paying attention to the fact that we are all community. Some of us with needs and all of us requiring patience. He counsels kindness, never seeking revenge. Basically always looking for the best in one another. And then there's this point-by-point checklist. Rejoice always. Pray gratefully, always. It's a continual lifestyle. Now, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But then he says, don't suppress the the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses people in the church to speak truth to each other. Keep looking for this. Keep listening for what God is saying. Don't quench the Spirit, but listen with discernment, he says. And then finally, there's this amazing prayer of blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. As we conclude this series today, I'd like us to draw, I'd I'd like to draw our attention to this word about faithfulness and how it corresponds to what Paul states as an imperative in verses 16 through 18, something that we are supposed to do. Rejoice always. Pray unceasingly. Give thanks for everything. Do you hear that? Always, unceasingly, everything. 
This is a tall order. This is not an empty expectation. And it's not easy to pray, to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, to give thanks for everything. Paul is careful to say that it's God's faithfulness to us that, boy, this is really getting annoying. Is it this thing? Okay, let me take it off first. I have so much electronics on my head. 